0: Without any further ado, I'm gonna introduce my good friend, Les Avery. Please welcome him. I'm not used to this kind of a mic, but I'll have to get used to it since you don't have lavaliers. I like to wander around, but you can't do that that easily here, but that's all right. Uh, A lot of deja vu as I walked into this place tonight. Fifty-five years ago, as a 25-year-old man, I was here the last time. It was then Judson Baptist Church, and uh, we practiced baptisms. I was in my last year's seminary here in Denver, and uh, I haven't been back in this building since that night. that We practiced bat- baptism. So uh, earlier when this, the, the singing group was... Uh, Singing, great is thy faithfulness, I thought to myself, wow, all those years, more than 20,000 days, or no, a little less than that, uh, and God's been so incredibly faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. All right, let me share a few thoughts with you. You're working your way through Mark, and we find ourselves today in the 14th chapter. And let me uh, read the 12th through the 26th verses and make some comments Uh, concerning that passage. And, of course, I'm reading from a little different version. It'll be flashed on the screen. Uh, I think it'll be flashed on the screen. Anyway, if it's not, here is uh, the word of the Lord. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, His disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, this was, of course, a a yearly ritual, the Passover, and uh, they were uh, remembering their deliverance from from Egypt, a kind of a ritualistic thing. We get caught in that kind of thing, too. And so he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. And so the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be distressed and to say to him one after another, Surely not I. And he said to them, It is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him that one not have been born, that that one not have been born. And while they were eating, he took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and all of them drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. I heard a little mumble there, right? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. There we go. <laughs> So there they are, this unlikely motley crew in that upper room, a gathering of men uh, that were so mixed, uh, individuals, all of them, remembering uh, the Passover. In that group of guys uh, is to be found a betrayer, a denier, a doubter, an exploiter, a skeptic, cowards uh, all of them because all of them not just Peter in a sense denied Jesus because they fled they were nowhere to be found John ultimately winds up at the foot of the cross but he's the only one and so you have uh, 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 this uh, rough group of men who were labeled I think by their contemporaries as ignorant because who would want to choose as his followers a group such as this Matthew, the tax collector, made his money by exploiting people. He, he, he charged them whatever the going rate was, and then he jacked it up, and uh, he could keep and pocket whatever he could uh, keep, but he didn't have to t- return to Rome. Peter was cocky, self-assured, the denier, denying that he would ever deny. And then you have uh, Pompous James and his brother John, who uh, really coveted the favored place in the kingdom wanted to be, at least their mother wanted them to be at the right hand of of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. And you have prejudiced men. These same guys, and you went into that study earlier, wanted to call fire down an entire Samaritan village because they didn't uh, kind of uh, jump to the tune that these men thought they should jump to. An incredible group of motley men, uh, ragamuffins, all of them, Nathaniel, the skeptic, Thomas, the doubter, Judas, not Iscariot, of whom nothing is known. He was so plain. Simon, the zealot, a member of a party known for brutality toward those who disagreed with him. Philip, who needed proof. Andrew, whose faith was weak. Judas, the betrayer. And Jesus handpicks this bunch of ragamuffins, losers to spread the gospel after he leaves the world. What was he thinking? I mean, there is not, as we look at people, a winner in the bunch. Well, I wonder as I look uh, across uh, this group and uh, look into your eyes and into your faces, if what I just said about the disciples might not be said about those who are seated here tonight. I I, I wonder. I suspect that here sits the doubter, uh, the denier, the zealot, the betrayer, the exploiter, the hot-tempered, the prejudiced, the passionate, certainly the poor, the discounted, the lost. Uh, We are all here. And like those who gathered in that upper room, we have little in common, save one thing, and I suspect not all of us have that in common. But what we have in common is somehow that Jesus has touched our lives. And because of that touch, uh, we can never quite be the same. We can't get away from that touch. Jesus has made a difference. And for some of us in this room, certainly It's a source of joy and for others, like with Judas, a source of frustration because you see, I don't think Judas was this bad guy the way he's often portrayed. Judas was trying, in my opinion, to force the hand of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to overthrow the Romans. He knew Jesus could do it. He could call down legions of angels. He wanted to see Jesus establish his kingdom right now, the kingdom on earth, throw out the Romans. And my suspicions are, though I don't know that it's true, that he felt that when push came to shove, Jesus would do exactly that. But it all backfired, and Judas went out and uh, hung himself. So here we are, our lives changed by the touch, and of course at that time, these confused group of men, their lives had not yet been changed. That doesn't happen until uh, Acts 2, Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends upon the uh, believers that are there, the disciples, and from that time on, they become transformed men who do that which is unheard of, who turn the world upside down for Jesus. Amazing things happen. It's not by accident, in my opinion, that Jesus chose that motley crew, those 12 disciples. And in that, there is hope for the likes of you and me. And uh, you see, because it's not just out there that we have the denier, the doubter, the skeptic. It's in here. All of those exist, at least in my own heart. There is within me, and I suspect within you, to be found the doubter, the zealot, the denier, the betrayer. And in each of us is to be found unhealthy ambition, prejudice, insecurity. We're all a mix, all of us. At times, frustrated, bewildered, angry, jealous. Sensing God's presence at one moment and not sensing it at the next. Wanting God to uh, come through for us when God doesn't come through for us, at least in the way we think he should. Upset by that. The church of Jesus Christ has always been made of a people like this. People like you. People like me. The church has been and always will be a mess. It, it's, uh, you know, right away in the early church, what do you get in the letters of Paul to the churches? You get Paul chastising them, trying to get them to shape up. And this is the Paul who also says about himself in his own soul, I am the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. And so why did Jesus choose a monthly crew like that? I suspect he chose them because in 1 Corinthians one twenty six and 29, Paul writes this, For consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were noble, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are. And catch to this, So that no one might boast in the presence of God. It's all by grace. Whatever we do isn't because of our own doing. It's because of what Jesus has done for us and in us. That's the way it simply is. Uh, I'm a mix. There are times I, uh, I, I love to identify with... Um, David, who in Psalm 34, 1 through 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name all together. And then there are days when I feel at... uh, Uh, Just the opposite when I feel uh, good Lord, where are you and I relate to uh, David in the 77th Psalm when he cries "I I cry aloud to God that he may hear me in the day of trouble I seek the Lord in the night. My hand is stretched out without wearing will the Lord spurn me forever Has his steadfast love ceased forever Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up? His compassion and there's, there's something in that uh, that mix, uh, the, the two extremes there, that is so utterly human. David at the top of his game at one moment and in the dumps the next. Secure one moment and uh, insecure the next. Together one moment and in pieces the next. And it's the stuff of which humanness is made. And it's the stuff that God uses. It's the stuff that you and I are made of. And it's the stuff God uses in that upper room. This this band of ragamuffins is about to change the world and they don't have a clue. Not a clue. The last thing in their minds was anything. They're feeling it's over. We're done. Got to go back to fishing. Little did they know because they did turn the world upside down. Pentecost did happen. And this bunch of ragamuffin losers accomplished the impossible. They did what people felt could not possibly be done. Uh, It amazes me today that there are people who say it can't be done that are continually being run over by the people who are doing it. It's it's kind of that kind of response in terms of the disciples, you know, in... uh, Psalm thirty-seven, four, and I want to spend a few minutes there. It says, trust in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, when you get into James, you just get the opposite message, which is simply this. James writes in James 1.14 and 15, he says, uh, when we're tempted, we get tempted by desire. And when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. So, uh, in a way, what James is saying, and then I want to come back to the Psalm piece, James is saying, whatever you desire, you desire bad enough, you're going to get it. You desire to to, to remain hating of another human being, that's all right, you'll continue to hate. You desire to live in sin, you'll live in sin. You desire to do drugs, you'll you'll find a way to do that. You desire to... uh, get into sexual addiction, that'll happen. Your desires are downward, though. Now, the key to the the Psalm passage versus the one in James is it, it says, trust in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So it's as I trust in the Lord, the desires change. As I trust in the Lord in the dark times, not just the bright, My desire to be a man of God is there. My desire to be someone who who shows mercy, kindness, a man of joy, a man of hope. And the same goes for all of us when we trust in the Lord. The desires move upward, not downward. And the Lord gives us, as we trust, the desires of our heart. And so you have St. Matthew Think about this. Yeah, all of them become saints. St. Peter, St. James, St. John, St. Thomas. All of those cowards who weren't to be found when Jesus is crucified, all of them become sainted because following Pentecost, trusting in Jesus, He gives them the desires of their heart to set the world on fire for God through Christ. I wonder uh, if there are any saints in this room. I I wonder. Uh, People who become saints never think of themselves as saints. they just plugging along, doing the best they know how being obedient to God the best they, they can do it, understanding the mix in them. That there is in each of us the capacity from that which is utterly despicable as well as the capacity to do that which is utterly magnanimous. And it's only by the grace of God, not anything that I've done. My One of my professors said to me, Les, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll spoil it. You know, uh, and, he, and and that's right. We, we, wherever we go, we carry our own baggage. I can't leave me behind. I take me wherever I go. I can change my name, but I still have me to deal with. The mix in me, it continually is there. Think about this. All of the disciples, all of them, once cowards, were martyrs. The only one that wasn't was John, and he's... Uh, relegated to the island Patmos, where he, he writes the book of Revelation. All alone. Maybe that's worse than being killed. Dying of old age, no one to talk to, on an island, all alone. Tradition tells us that Matthew uh, was skinned alive. James was slain with a club. That Peter was crucified upside down, unworthy to die upright on a cross as Jesus had died. I wonder if there are any saints in this room. We're just mixed up people, right? Well, that's all the disciples were. <laughs> Until Jesus touched their lives and changed them. Common, ordinary folk. Another of my professors once said, uh, "Less." Uh, Cream rises to the top and you're not cream. And, and, and I, I, I didn't ever think I was cream. Maybe uh, not skim milk. I'll, I'll settle for 1%. I, I, it's, it's, it's the point at ordinary people is what Jesus uses. The least. The lost. In the 11th century... Uh, There was a nun named Gertrude. She ultimately became Sainted, Saint Gertrude. And she was criticized for mixing with the common people in the village while the other sisters in the order in which she lived, uh, well, they did the spiritual things. They stayed in the convent. They prayed hours on end. They meditated. They read the scriptures. They sang. But they never got out and mixed with the villagers. Gertrude did that. One day, she uh, found herself in the home of a very wealthy villager. And as she walked into the house, there in the parlor were two incredibly beautiful French poodles manicured to perfection. If there were saints among dogs, these were sainted dogs. And then uh, the story goes from out in the stables came the bark of other dogs, the hounds, just back from the hunt. Their coat's muddy, sweaty, dirty. The master of the house comes in beaming. It had been a good hunt. And Gertrude, the nun, looked at the members of the household and asked, which dog do you think the master loves the most? Which dogs do you think the master loves the most? So neither you nor I, I suspect, maybe I'm wrong, are pedigreed. Maybe somebody's... And trace themselves back to the Mayflower, but uh, I can't. I discovered that my ancestry includes the first Methodist minister ever tried for murder. Um, He had uh, impregnated a single girl and then killed her. Uh, That's my pedigree, and so are not pedigrees. I suspect. And sometimes God uses us when we're most broken, when we're most at the bottom. Let me wind it up by simply saying, uh, back in the 80s, I, uh, with 2,000 other bikers, uh, rode the first of what was to become five or six Ride the Rockies, my bike, that bike ride that's every summer. And I was deeply depressed. I I was the senior minister at St. James James Presbyterian Church in Littleton. And uh, I felt that I had failed my parishioners. I had let them down. I didn't know how to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I felt ashamed of my behaviors. uh, Not that I had done anything in the sense of betraying them in ways that some ministers do. But uh, I had simply uh, stopped being a leader wanted to go to a consensus model of ministry, let the whole staff decide what was going to happen. And there was a vacuum there that I had abandoned. And uh, I'm riding the Rockies, and I don't want to ride with anybody. There are 2,000 riders, but I don't want to ride with anybody. There are 18 who are from St. James Church, and I don't ride with any of them. Nine miles out of uh, Leadville, I find myself pulling from my back pocket uh, a banana and eating the banana and then saying out loud, what am I gonna do with this peeling? And I said, I'm gonna th- throw this sucker as hard and as far as I can. And I wound up and threw it like this. And any six year old knows that if you th- are on a plane of balance and you throw your weight across that plane of balance, you're going down. So I uh, fractured my femur and I'm uh, lying there on the road and denying that anything's wrong. And the uh, first lady that comes by, isn't God good? 2,000 writers, and she's a nurse from St. James. <laughs> and I know her. And I grab her hand, and the ambulance arrives, and I want to drag her into the ambulance. Don't let me. Stay with me. I spent the next three months, well, from June until November, out of the pulpit. Lived uh, at that time in the mountains up on Floyd Hill, and I didn't want to see anybody. Once a week, I allowed my associate minister to come up t- as long as he wouldn't talk about anything going on in the church. And then a f- telephone call came in uh, uh, October. It was from Gary Snyder, who was the head of a men's group at St. James, and he said, Les, would you come to the, the men's retreat? Uh, be held at Silver Cliff, uh, not Silver Cliff, uh, Silver any Creek Ranch outside of Granby, and uh, the, the guys would just love to have you there. The guys would just love to be with you. Uh, you, you don't have to say anything. I said, I, uh, Gary, I'm, I'm not ready. I, I just am not ready. I don't want to go anywhere right now. I don't want to be seen by anybody. Oh, I said, Come on, uh, we won't ask anything of you. And feeling kind of ashamed of what I was doing to this church, I, I agreed, and so I remember, never forget it, uh, uh, truthing, uh into the lodge at this ranch and uh, feeling just overwhelmed with uh, disappointing these people. And they, and they, they, they welcomed me. They couldn't have been kinder, more loving, caring. And then came Sunday morning, and uh, suddenly Gary is in a point of desperation, and he says, "Oh my gosh, Les." It's, uh, it's communion. We've got to have communion. And, uh, of course, in the Presbyterian Church, at least Presbyterian Church USA, uh, only teaching elders, ordained ministers, can serve communion. And you're the only ordained minister here. You've got to serve the communion. And I said, I can't do it. Well, he said, you've got to. And so I remember standing behind uh, this uh, Hard table where they had the elements uh, laid out, on my crutches, and 80 men out there in front and just painful silence, standing there until you could just hear the people saying, uh, say something. And finally, I said, I have nothing to give. I'm utterly empty. I just stood there. The minutes ticked by. And then it was as if suddenly the words came, But if there is one place you don't have to give, you only have to take. It's here. Come, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Come, take, drink. This is my blood shed for you. For those of us who find ourselves in ministry, the giving side of us is always a problem because giving can leave us so in control, leaving everybody beholding. But when you're broken, when you're totally empty, all you can do is take. And that's enough. Because, and communion has had a totally new meaning for me. When I eat the bread, it is not the toast I had for breakfast. In a way that I don't comprehend in a new way for me, it's the strength that comes from the body of Christ. Lord, you are my strength and my salvation. My strength. And when I drink, it is not just wine, the glass I have before I go to bed at night. It's Jesus' blood. And the life is in the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses me from all sin. And so uh, I think there's a scramble back there because we're supposed to have communion, but I don't see any elements. Are they coming? (laughs) Here they come. And so I invite you to the table. And I invite you to uh, not just go through the motions. It's too easy to do. I've done that all my life. but to allow, especially if you're low in a place like I was back then, to take and to let God speak to you in a brand new way, to change your life, to ingest Jesus' strength. He makes us strong as we trust him. And to drink, knowing it's Jesus' blood which cleanses us from all sin. And finally... As you leave tonight, remember and cling to it. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Come, eat, drink, be fed.